Welcome to The Art of Making, EIT Manufacturing's podcast where we talk to leading entrepreneurs, technologists, researchers and policymakers about the state and future of the European manufacturing industry. I am your host, Maxime Montmorency, and this is The Art of Making. In today's episode, you will hear from Daniel Kronen. He's an entrepreneur, lecturer, moderator, keynote speaker, and co-host of Austria's number one tech podcast, Future Weekly. And we also know him under the honorary title, The Pitch Professor. Daniel, welcome, and thanks so much for having the time to join us on uh, The Art of Making. Very nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So, I... I briefly introduced you as you know all of these keywords entrepreneur lecturer moderator keynote speaker co-host of a podcast it, it seems like you live on stage <laughs> well yeah well it kind of sounds that way um but the funny thing is for me yes i i kind of live on stage in a way um but to be honest it was a very rocky path to be on stage um and the funny thing is for me it's, i love it but if you would have gone back to like my 17 year old me and would have told me what my profession is nowadays, I would have said no way. Um, because I actually, I have massive stage anxiety and I dreaded any kind of stage. And when I was growing up, like any type of stage performance, I would do everything to avoid it. Um, and here I am. Yes. Didn't quite work out the way I intended it, but in a good way. (laughs) Why, why do you love it now? I mean, I, I suppose that you love it. Maybe you don't. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of love it. Like every time before I go on stage, I get like super nervous and I go like, why am I doing this? Um, and then like the first 30 seconds or minute or two minutes or three minutes, I'm like all over the place inside, not on the outside. Um, and then I really enjoy it. Well, to kind of cut a very long story short is I've always throughout my life, I've always had my head full of ideas. And there was like this, this, under, this gradual understanding over time that if you want to make ideas work, you, well, you need business plans and budget and blah, blah, blah. But what you need to mm-hmm. do is you ha- need to have the ability to talk about your ideas. And the wilder and crazier these ideas are, the more you actually have to be persuasive and make people believe in them. And it's not just about standing there and saying, look, look I have this kind of idea and I think it's really fantastic and stuff. But to do it in a way that people actually want to listen to you and it's something mm-hmm. I kind of developed over time. Um, and like my personal story of being on stage is just, just, I like doing things that scare me and I hate not doing things because they scare me, if that makes sense in a way. Mm-hmm. And I was given the opportunity to be, to be on stage and I took it and I was absolutely, absolutely all over the place. And on the other side, as an entrepreneur, I had to pitch. And mm-hmm. what I found particularly interesting was was that I kind of started hosting startup events and the center of every of every startup event is always pitching and I'd have people go off stage and say how did it go and I'd always say like I don't know and over time I would start noticing things and I could see how the audience would react I'd go like hey you said it this way and you said it that way and when you presented there was no reaction but when you said blah there was a reaction and yeah that's kind of what led me into really starting to at some I can't put my finger on where or when but suddenly mm-hmm. I was curious to understand what are the mechanics behind why do one of people listen why do others not listen why is it interesting to listen to person B A and why is it boring to listen to person B and 
I have to admit, I found a lot of the answers by my guilty pleasure, and that's really enjoying talk shows, uh, enjoying stuff like Top Gear and so on, and loving the entertainment business, and suddenly going like, hey, mm -hmm. this kind of works, and this doesn't work, and then mixing it into the tech world where I'm actually at home. And um, yeah. yeah, that's it. No, I, I completely understand. And I also, you know, if I look back, I've also done some bigger keynotes. I also coach uh, startups and pitching. I've, I've taught pitching as well, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, if I go back to when I was 17, actually when I was 17, all this started, interestingly enough. Well, uh, I, I switched schools in the last year of, of high school. And, um, you know, new school, how do you make friends, right? And so uh, there was this theater production. I was like, you know what? Get out of your comfort zone, right? Because yeah. I'm, actually, I'm, I'm pretty much an introvert or social introvert, okay. But I would, I would definitely not consider myself someone who goes on stage uh, naturally and just persuades everyone with his natural charisma or something, right? So definitely not extroverted. But this helped me a lot to kind of, you know, get out of my shell a little bit and, and develop this love for, for the stage because, you know... A lot of people don't believe me when I say that, you know, it's very different to, to be on stage and be in control of what you say mm -hmm. versus, you know, these kind of different kinds of social situations where you're put on the spots or, or these kind of uh, stuff. So, so that's, that's very interesting. Interesting um, way of putting it. So you mean yeah. like, like kind of the difference between they need a volunteer in the circus and they pick you out and you're like, oh my goodness, versus you're the master of ceremonies and you kind of lead the whole yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, yeah a bit like that, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, it's interesting. Um, I, I remember after the production, uh, the first one in high school, I did theater a bit longer than, than that, uh, two more years. Um, I remember one of my brothers, I don't remember who it was, uh, which one, told me, <laughs> no, because this is the first time that I've heard you speak more than 10 sentences. <laughs> one after the other I'm like hmm, okay yeah. so That's no but I think that you know everyone can can learn it I think well well here's the thing I mean I think number one everyone should learn it but mm -hmm. I think the important thing was when I grew up I was convinced that you're either born a stage person or you're not but that's just not true I think um there's people who are taught that it's, yeah, it's, it's some people who are taught that it's scary to be on stage and some people who get the opportunity to be on stage early on and just kind of grow into it. And for me, the thing is, um, I think uh, this whole this whole anxiety thing, this nervousness is something what a lot of people consider this absolute weakness and that's why they don't do it. But here's the thing. It's something you can also learn to embrace in a good way and um, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. curious to, to find out how you started. My, my first step on going on stage was actually working as an extra on film sets. And because to mm -hmm. kind of en en encounter my, my fear I had of stages, and for me, the maximum I could do was work as an extra. And I was just so brutally nervous. And I couldn't, it was just crazy. And, but it was like the, the, the entry barrier for me to get a little more into this. And I remember then, I was asked by someone of the agency I work with said like, hey, that was quite good. You want to do that again? I was like, yeah. And funny thing was they were like, you're really good at this. And, you know, as an extra, what you do is effectively stand around and do nothing. So probably that was where, where they saw my talent. <laughs> and in a moment of absolute madness, I decided to go to acting school, which 
made no sense. And the funny thing was for me was the first couple of years, I'm curious how you felt there, was I never told anyone that I had this massive stage anxiety and I never told anyone that I didn't feel well going on stage. And I would like mm -hmm. s have this massive anxiety and close to like panic while being on stage and for the first minutes. And I remember very well like doing my first like a small TV ad to earn a couple of euros. And I was surrounded by these cameras and it was just a constant fight, you know, it's just everything mm. inside of me wanted to run away. Oh, wow. How about you? What, what is it for you? What is it for you? I mean, for me, I think mm. um, it's it's being watched. So one of the things that I, I wear glasses, right? Um, yeah. One of the things I, I found interesting is that uh, whilst acting um, in, in theater, not wearing my glasses really helped a lot because then <laughs> you don't have the audience staring at you i mean they are staring at you you're still in the spotlight obviously yeah but you don't see them you know this this feeling of being observed is yeah. then gone or at least <laughs> you know alleviated a little bit so, um, so your pro tip is blindfold yeah. yourself basically i actually give this tip to some people you know people who wear glasses and, and afterwards they're like yeah i mean you know fear of public speaking always ranks super high up there with fear of spiders and fear of the dark yeah. and, and whatnot, you know. Um, but I don't believe there is this thing like fear of public speaking in itself. It's something else. It's being watched, maybe the fear of making a mistake or, or yeah. making a fool of yourself. Yeah. I think I think there's a couple of things I learned over time. Like I, I still don't like the idea. I, I, the funny thing is I couldn't really work as an as an actor nowadays but i love being on a stage with talking about something i believe in or being in an environment mm -hmm. which i which i believe in so the whole entrepreneurial world of the keynote speaking or when i moderate it's like i i, I want to be i want to make sure that the whole event that has the target to promote technology to promote amazing entrepreneurs works as ideal as possible and i consider myself a part of trying to make this work, you know, and, and, and that's kind of my mission. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy that. And that that's something that works for me. And what I've noticed with the fear of public speaking and the anxiety and so on, it's all a question of how you see it. And what I, what I kind of worked out for myself some, 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 some while ago is you might know that feeling when you're dating and like you, 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 you like I've been happily married now for 30, not married for 13 years, but I met my wife 13 years ago, happily married for four and when I when I went on the first date with my wife, I was stupidly nervous. And like when we were building up to the first kiss, my goodness, like I had butterflies all over, and I was like, I was going ballistic on the inside. Which means she is the right one, right? And mm -hmm. before that, I would have gone on other dates with other uh, 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 ladies, and I didn't feel a thing. There was like no excitement, no no butterflies, which is a sure feeling that sh says that's not the right one, mm. and. It's the same feeling you get when you go on stage, just kind of put in a different scenario. And for me, when I go on stage and I get this buzz, I get this excitement, I get this anxiety, close to anxiety is nervousness. It's, it's my brain telling me this matters. This is important. This is the right stage. If I were ever to go on a stage where I just have like zero feeling, then that's not the right stage for me. And that's not the stage where I belong. And it's not the stage that I like and love. And for me, the funny thing is I get this feeling I was, I was holding a keynote like last week in front of, I don't know what it was, like 40 people. I got it. It's the same buzz I get when I speak in front of 2,000 people. It's just something mm -hmm. that I have. 
And then on the other hand, I find it also so incredibly fun and exciting. And, you know, that feeling afterwards when this whole euphoria goes over you. And then again, I still can't believe that I actually get to talk on stages with really interesting people or get to talk about things I believe in and things I, I want to share. And this is like something I keep reminding myself of. This is like the greatest privilege in the world. And I, I so, so clearly remember back in my first student's apartment, having ideas, mapping them out. And there was no one I could talk to and no one who would listen and no one, no matter how good the idea was, no one would listen. And nowadays, you know, to have earned and that's what i always like saying to people with whom i work you've earned the right to be on whatever stage you're invited to and to to have earned that right means yeah. you belong there and do it enjoy it it's amazing um right that's crazy i just that's what yeah. a privilege you know mm-hmm. no i agree i agree and in terms of nervousness mm-hmm. it's also a bit it's framing you can you can reframe it for yeah. yourself and, and that's just what i always try to to say it you're not nervous you're you're excited you know it's it's these two feelings are so close together that you can basically rewire uh, your your not your brain but your thoughts and maybe the feeling that you have and and no i'm gonna have a meltdown up to wow i'm i'm really excited to be here yeah i mean i've had i've had scenarios like when i when i did television for the first time many 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 moons ago and we had a live show and I'll never forget standing backstage then. Up to that point, I'd never told anyone that I have this massive stage anxiety because I considered it this huge weakness. And I didn't want to talk about that because I mm-hmm. thought I was the only one who had that feeling. And I'll never forget being backstage and having my in-ears and suddenly over my in-ear devices, like the director goes, three minutes. And at that moment, like everything was quiet and died down. And I was when I got, went like, oh, wow, this is bad. And then suddenly feeling like how my hands got moist. I'm like, wow, what am I actually doing? Whoa. And it goes like two minutes. And that's when my when my whole mouth was drying up. I was going, okay, wow. And it goes like one minute. And that's when I feel my heartbeat, you know, and then it goes 30 seconds. And that's when my stomach goes all over the place. And that was like, that in that very moment, I was like, well, what if? Well, what if I kind of rip off the, the microphone's and run through the next jo- door and join the French Foreign Legion. That was kind of my thought pattern. I was like, well, you'll have people shoot at you and you'll have to learn a new language. And that's quite a lot at once. And then you'll have people chasing you as well, whilst you run towards the Legion. Which is very bad as well. Um, and it's very bad food, apparently. Um, but the funny thing was like, um, so, I, so I did the show and it went really well. And going, going, going back in, in, the, in the rental car, I had to think like, wow, I'm, wow, I'm a, like a professional TV presenter now and I'm still scared. And in that moment, something occurred to me was bravery does not mean not being scared. Bravery means absolutely, you know, shitting yourself and still doing it. And that's when I, on mm-hmm. that day, I kind of noticed and reframed it for myself that it's not being, not, not a weakness, but it's a tremendous strength going on stage, doing something I want to do and doing something I believe in, even though I'm, I'm scared, even though I'm nervous. And then quite simply, I started talking about that with others and Turned out every single one I work with and I collaborate with has that same feeling before. And, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a keynote in, in, in Germany, huge event, a lot of highly professional speakers. And there was a guy I spoke with who was like one of the top speakers in Germany. And he spoke after me and he was like, yeah, every time I go on stage, I'm nervous as well. And I went off stage and I made sure to look at him 
And I could see he had just that same stare as I have when I go on stage. He just did the same, you know, you could see from his emotion that he was going ballistic on the inside. And then, and what I like so much that moment when you go on stage, everything on the inside is going all over the place. And then you start talking and you can sense the way your emotional brain is going like, I'm going to die. This is terrible. And then your rational brain taking over as soon as you start speaking, starts pushing the emotional brain aside and you start mm -hmm. getting in that groove and you just go for it. That's spectacular. Um, and it's, you know, it's every time it's a, it's, it's a fight. And then when you step off stage, it's just, that's amazing. I think we can talk about this for hours. Maybe we'll yes. just invite you back for, for round two and round three. Um, so as, as you know, we, we uh, work a lot with um, uh, industrial tech or only with industrial tech uh, startups. Yeah. Um, and so very often we have to do with, uh, have to work with engineers, scientists, um, and very often they don't feel very comfortable going on stage. Prefer maybe uh, their laptop and, and the safety of uh, the shop floor in manufacturing them. What will you tell them if they're interested, of course, in, in becoming better at pitching? And, and overcoming maybe this 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 fright. What would you? Yeah, sure. What would you tell them? I mean, first of all, I I I I know not I believe, but I know that the ability to make others believe in what you want to do is just as mission mission critical, if not more, than having the right code, the right technology, the right budget. And the founder or the founders are the ones who can can and have to convey this belief more than everyone else. And it matters that they do it and it matters that they show it. And it's not about being able to play Shakespeare or anything, but it's about showcasing why they do what they do, why they have that ability. And it's um, something they need to learn if they want to go places. And no one is going to discover their brilliance just by looking at data. Um, mm -hmm. And they have to learn to communicate what they do in a simple way that people understand and making it simple doesn't mean that what they do is simple but it means they mm -hmm. are talking to someone who's maybe not 100% concentrated maybe someone who doesn't have domain knowledge and for a lot of people that seems like blasphemy you know I amongst yeah. others I, I get to lecture at the technical university in Vienna and the medical university in Vienna and the funny thing is, in both cases, it's more like, especially, especially at Med, Med Uni, um, a medical university, that's a postdoc program. So I have like full-blown doctors, really smart, educated, incredibly accomplished people. And to tell them, tone down your language and talk in a language that everyone understands you. And specifically, also understand that you might be preparing this complicated presentation which someone who is, has tremendous domain knowledge and has slept well may understand. But in fact, you should prepare something for pitch number 17 out of 18. Everyone else was super boring. Everyone's got a headache. Everyone's hungry. No one wants to listen to you. Mm -hmm. And then you get your two or three minutes to shine. And the interesting thing is people need to understand that a pitch is not about saying everything they know. But a pitch is and has to be a simple conversation starter. And what they're trying to do is with the pitch on stage, and that's why they have to do it. Not someone, not a vice president of blah, 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 not a paid actor, but they. They have to earn time. That's what I call the first pillar of pitching. And the second pillar is build trust. 
And the earning time part is simple. You pitch for three minutes on stage, not to raise $50 million like afterwards, but you, you're trying to earn one amazing question during the Q&A part. After the Q&A part, uh, after the pitch, you always have the Q&A part. And there'll be no better person in the world to answer that than the founders, than the tech people behind it. Because any trained monkey can pitch. That's easy. And like once a year, people say to me, how much would it cost if you could pitch for us instead of us? I always say like a million dollars, which I'd never take. I'll take it. No, I'm just kidding. But the <laughs> point is, I'd be absolutely annihilated during Q&A, during the question and answer part. And during that part, that's where you build trust. So people need to understand in the pitch, you earn one great question during Q&A. And if that goes well, you earn a 10-minute conversation afterwards over coffee. And if that goes well, you earn a 30-minute call. And if that goes well, you earn a one-hour call, a workshop, blah, 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 and then world domination. And that's why they are the ones who need to learn this ability that in order to make and to, 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 to how should I say, turn their ideas and their beliefs into reality, they need to be the ones who are put in the spotlight because they are the ones the other side has to learn to trust because... Look, mm -hmm. if someone says, I'm going to build a rocket ship and fly to Mars, you go like, yeah, you're nuts. But if someone says, no, no, I can actually do this because, and then they need to learn how to say the right things, which are true, obviously, which have to be true, that earn trust. And that's something which is the awkward part because a lot of people, myself included, were raised to be humble. And being humble mm -hmm. is great, other than in pitching. And in pitching, you need to tell people that you've achieved this and that and that and because you're building trust with that. And I always tell people with an example I like making is saying, imagine we were to go parachuting now, you know, a tandem jump. And there's two people. And the first guy says, today's my first day. I've never done this before, but I think I kind of know what I'm doing. And the second guy says, you know, I spent 17 years in the Navy SEALs and I personally saved Captains Phillips and I'm a free fall instructor and wingsuit master. With whom are you going to jump? With number mm -hmm. two. Just because of this small, seemingly unimportant data that he shared, the fact what he's achieved so far. It doesn't say anything about his ability. And another example, if people still don't believe me at this point, is the next time they go to a doctor and you're sitting in the waiting room, look around and look what you, what you see. And what you see is a bunch of diplomas. Why? Because the doctor's already trying to build trust with his or her achievement. Probably mm -hmm. says they're seventh place in the drinking competition in Mallorca. I have no idea. But the point is, what they're trying to do is build trust. So it's earn time, build trust. Mm -hmm. And there's no better person than the CEO because that's the one you want to negotiate. That's the one you believe in. And that's the one, if it gets unpleasant, you want to call at midnight and say, dude, what the hell is happening? Or do that. You know what I mean? And um, mm -hmm. you have to learn that. You have to learn that. Right. Right. Actually, it goes back to, to Aristotle, honestly. You know, 2,000 years of, of wisdom. Right, uh, rhetoric. Uh, you have to establish, you know, that you know what you're talking about, basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, what what kind of balance would you advise? We're talking about industrial tech startups, right? Hardware yeah. startups, perhaps uh, solid products, not a SaaS or anything uh, like a platform. Solid product, something you can touch. What kind of balance would you advise them to have between? storytelling so really having a coherent vision and a story about their project and the technical details how, how deep do you go um if in doubt go low that's something i always say um and for me it's 
every every detail you want to in, um, include in your pitch, you have to ask yourself, does it earn time or does it build trust? And then the next question you say is, well, with whom? And then you say, well, who's my target audience? And then um, you kind of have to backtrack. And I always say, look, there's three questions. I always ask every single team I work with on a one-on-one session, on a one-on-one session, that's number one, how much time do you have? Number two, who's your target audience? And number three, what are you looking for? So once they kind of have these three questions and these two pillars of pitching, then they should kind of retrace or let's call it reverse engineer what they do. As I said, if in doubt, go low. I'm pretty sure the higher up people, the lower their domain knowledge. And I'm, and, I, and, and I'm also sure that in most cases, not about pitching the product. That's a small part. But it's about pitching the market. It's about pitching the ability to make a company around the product you're trying to build. So you're pitching the product, yes, but you're also pitching the company around making this uh, straightforward. And usually for me, it's like, I think the biggest mistake I see in pitching every time on stage is when people, let's say, have three minutes, they spend two and a half minutes talking about the problem they're trying to solve. That's great. But no, spend 30 seconds on that. Give us one or two numbers. I always call it the BFM, the big fucking number, a big number that shows how big the problem is you're actually solving. And then tell us rather, how should I say, more business-related topics. So tell us in one simple sentence what you Mm do. Tell us what the problem is and why this is actually a problem and then move on. Kind of highlight the solution, but very quickly say, look, mm-hmm. that's how it's solved, but not in detail. And then what I'm really interested in rather than technology and everything is where are you at now? What are the major steps you're wanting to take and what is it you're actually looking for? That's the, that's the interesting part. You mm-hmm. know? And what you want to do is you want to you know your audience. You want to know where they're at. Yeah. And you want to try and anticipate questions that they could be coming up. And what I've, I've seen, I once reverse engineered somewhere around 10,000 pitches in the last 10 years, plus minus a bit. And I've, I, I, I think like I, can, I can count on one or two hands how often follow-up questions were regarding the product. It's usually always market size. Um, it's, it's, it's what kind of a request you have, what the next major steps are. Uh, team things, financing, runways, blah, blah. It's more like the financial part. It's more like the company part. And very, very, very rarely it's actually product related. And I know a lot of people are like, no, that's horrible. Yeah, but that's not the thing. I mean, it's, it's, we're pitching opportunities. We're not pitching perfect products. Um, and yeah, it breaks people's hearts. But at the end of the day, product is just a small factor. So, yeah. To yeah. answer your question. Well, I get that. I get that. I, I, you mentioned audience, right? Yes. I think this is probably, this is one thing that I hammer home every single time. Know, if you can, of course, know your audience. Right? Yes. What level are they in technical detail? Are domain experts, like you said? Um, I used to, just thinking back, uh, when I was still working at the European Space Agency, we, we had scientific presenting workshops for yeah. trainees, PhD students working there. Um, one thing that, that was a great idea by a colleague of mine um, co-conducting this workshop was you are their guides. As a mm-hmm. presenter, you are their guides, the guides of the audience, right? And you have to, you have to make sure that you don't go too steep when, when, when you guide them up the mountain, because otherwise they will not be able to follow you and they will just turn back and go home. 
Yeah. If they are really good mountaineers, you don't want to go too low. You want to aim for the high peaks because otherwise it will be a very underwhelming experience and they will have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was an analogy that I, that I, I liked that very much. It's a good picture. Um, I think it's a good picture. And for me, it's like, by the way, um, you know, I always say a lot of things are very optional you can show during a pitch, but the one thing that should not be optional is a timeline. And on this timeline, mm-hmm. you can very high level show the pace and the trajectory of the company. That's why you kind of said you like a guide. And I think it shows my audience also very clearly, do you have a track you want to follow? At what pace do you want to take it? How ambitious is it? Um, and how did, well do you know it? Um, and that's something that you can share so incredibly much information in such a short period of time. Um, it's spectacular. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the, and the next thing is what also, what I always like is these, these three questions. I just mentioned this. Um, who's your audience? How much time do you have? What are you looking for? It's having clarity during a pitch. And there's so many people mm-hmm. I, I see that go on stage. And if you ask them before, what are you looking for? They usually say, I, I don't quite know. Funding? Um, but it's Money, if you usually, you know, but like they don't, they don't say we're looking for, for $1.2 million in uh, with a smart investor with this and that and blah, blah, blah. But they go like money. So it's mm. be aware what it is you're looking for on that day, on that stage, in that environment. And only then can you pitch with a certain clarity. Um, that's the one thing. And the other thing is I've also observed, and I know as a fact that usually the only thing that remains of a pitch is one word, one topic, that's it. So people have to understand what is their one key message, the one thing they stand for, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, if there's 10, 12, 15, 20 people pitching a long day, no one's going to memorize the full details and the numbers. And they're just going to go like, oh, that was that AI startup that did blah. That's the ones who identify music. Oh, that's the ones, you know, you know what I mean? It's the, that's one thing yeah. you stand for. Um, and that's what you kind of also have to, have, to, have to break down. What's the one thing we stand for? And I know it's super hard. And the easiest way to do that is without warning to go around and just ask your friends, your family, your loved ones, your coworkers, me, your co-founders even, what is it that we're doing? And if they all kind of nail it down, break it down to the thing you do, well, well done. But in reality, you'll get a lot of mixed messages. So have a super clear, super simple message, um, which is hard. And it means reducing yeah. it down to the very core. Um, and a, a, an example I like giving is Shazam. I'm a huge fan of Shazam. Do you know Shazam? Of course. What does Shazam do? <laughs> Used it yesterday. What does Shazam do? It identifies the music of which I don't know the title. Yes, and the funny thing is, I, yeah. I, I, in every single pitch training I do, I show the logo of Shazam without saying who they are and what they do. And every single time I, I ask a random member of the audience, now it's obviously it's the two of us and you're not random because I know you. And, mm-hmm. but, and I just point at people who've, who've raised their hand and say, who are they and what do they do? And every single time in over 500 trainings, the answer was, oh, that's Shazam and Shazam identifies music. Massive clarity. Mm-hmm. I love that product for that. Yeah. And think about it. Um, do you have a product where your audience knows exactly what the core use is? Can you convey that? Can you break? Because Shazam does a lot more, right? I mean, Shazam has a million functions. And if you want to make it complicated, you could say Shazam is a cloud solution that uses intricated AI to do blah, 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 blah. No, Shazam recognizes music. 
and that's all people are going to memorize and mm-hmm. that's something you can and have to try out and it, it, it's 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 spectacular when you ask people but here's the thing if you if you're listening and you now go to your boyfriend your girlfriend your mom your dad or whatever it is and say so what is it i'm working on and they suddenly say um um something in the internet don't get upset at them don't send me an email saying daniel because of you i'm getting divorced and i'm cutting the dog in half but the point is communication is not what you say communication is what others understand you are the one who is responsible for a not clear message and that's nothing bad it's just something you need to be aware of it and you need to test it that's one tip by the way and i have a second tip i love doing Mm -hmm. um what's your favorite animal probably the owl Mm -hmm. see that's interesting Mm -hmm. there's two ways of answering this either people say dog or they go well probably the owl so you're not really a a big animal (laughs) person that's that's great just without any further warning you can try that out yourself and also you're Mm -hmm. listening in the middle of conversations with people just interrupt them say favorite animal and you'll get two reactions number one a cat or you got to i don't know you know guess the fluffy ones that kind of you know don't smell that much and the funny thing is during (laughs) q a when you ask how much money are you raising either you go 1.5 million or you're like oh you know in times of inflation you know it's hard and that labor and you know and blah 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 Mm. blah 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 and the beauty is if you're 100 percent confident in your topic it's something you've thought over and you don't challenge. Like in my case, I love dogs. You can wake me up at 3.30 in the morning and say, favorite animal? I go like, dog. Try it out. Try it out with 10 people and you'll mm-hmm. see it's always the same. Either a one-word answer or people are going to go over the place. And what I'm trying to say is that it's so much you can learn just by observing your surrounding. And because of that, you become a really good person in pitching just by doing simple mm-hmm. homework like that. And the next time you ask how much money do you have, how long is your runway? You're like, well, it depends. That means that means you're not sure. It means you're not confident. Mm-hmm. And, and it's yeah. again, earn time, build trust. How long is your runway? Absolutely. Q3, but we should start raising Q2 because blah. And we at this point, and we have a burn rate of. You go like, wow, that's that's amazing. Well done. What's your burn rate? My burn rate is, 1.5 gummy bears. Great. Can you lower it? Yes, we can lower it to one gummy bear. You sure? Yes, you're really sure. Yes. Versus um, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, a lot, I guess. And you're like, yeah, thanks. You build trust by being prepared, you know, by, yes. by knowing your stuff. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Also, Daniel, don't get me wrong. I love dogs, right? My entire Instagram <laughs> feed is just videos <laughs> of dogs. No the only reason I still have Instagram. <laughs> no, but so what's, um, what's your favorite dog it, then? My favorite dog. I had a small uh, Rottweiler mix. Mm-hmm. The cutest, the cutest thing. You know, six months old, a bit of a goofball. Uh, it, w- it was a shelter dog, so I, I couldn't keep it, unfortunately. Oh, but it was a nice true. experience in itself. Yeah, gorgeous. I would love yeah, that dogs are fantastic. I, I love dogs. <laughs> yeah, but that's a different topic. I, I love dogs. <laughs> I'll invite you back for uh, round three then. Yeah, I'm in. Mean, we'll do a dog <laughs> round as well. Always happy. Dogs in manufacturing. Yes or no? Yeah. It could work. You, you never know. It can be creative, of course. No, we were talking about um, fundraising, and, and that's a very yeah. interesting topic, I think, uh, especially for industrial tech um, startups. How can we help these specific startups that, you know, investors love ARR or MRR, yeah. recurring yeah. revenue, just, you know, this is taking off. It's easy, easy sure. money for further LPs, right? Yeah. Um, 
how can we help these startups that can't really show this kind mm -hmm. of recurring revenues just because it's it's not their their product yeah i mean first of all i think the answer is it depends which is a very very frustrating answer to give i think it really depends mm -hmm. but it's is there some kind of ex external validation they have that proves that they are advancing that, that they are moving somewhere that they have the right time that they have the right product the right direction um, because the thing is, obviously, yes, everyone wants a SaaS product with, with like an amazing recurring revenue. We got SaaS recurring revenue, blah, 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 blah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. But as you're right, I mean, especially like if you think of, uh, as you said, hardware or you said medical product where you just have like years and years and years of development. What I find interesting is to see what is your North Star? What is the one thing you keep looking at that shows you that you are on the right track? How can you prove or have external validation that the direction you are going is right. And that's something mm -hmm. I find quite intriguing. And then again, again, there's going to be a frustrating answer, but if you have, let's say you have a medical startup and you look and, and you're developing something, something in the field of cancer and something that takes a decade, you know, and you have an investor who says, but I want a, a, a return within the next three months, then he or she is not the right person for that as well. Again, that's a frustrating answer. But the mm -hmm. point being is, not all investors are born equal and getting the right investor is crucial that understand what it is and your ability to convey whatever progress it is you are making. And I, I love, I love sometimes, you know, having that conversation saying, what's your number one KPI you're looking for? What's the one thing when you go into the office in the morning, when you switch on your laptop, the one thing you look out for and you know, it's not always, you know, whatever business you're running, it's not always revenue and it's not always sales. It might be something else that keeps you excited. And that's something if you share that with the, the right person, say, well, we are still pre-product, but we're seeing that the demand of this topic is ri rising in this area. That's why we've understood that we're focusing mm -hmm. on. And because of that, because of that, because at the end of the day, every startup you build, every, 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 every company you build, is based on a bunch of hypotheses, right? Which you in some kind of a way need to prove. And if you're saying, right. I want to have a product that people want in 10 years, but in order for the demand to be there in 10 years, we need in five years them to do this, but in three years that, however, at this point in time, we're seeing that blah, blah, blah is happening. And the funny thing is I, I, I interviewed a guy um, two weeks ago on stage, amazing person, Nick van Rupp. He's a big wave surfer. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at surfing, it's about a bunch of dudes and, and, and you know, you know, with, with, with their blonde hair standing on surfboards doing awesome stuff. And you think they're kind of just sitting around smoking pot all day and then just kind of hang around and just, this guy is like one of the best in the world. Why? Because he has an absolute obsession with checking weather data all over the globe. Mm -hmm. And he can tell you if... In the South Pacific, this I'm, I'm, I'm making this up now, but he, he explained it to me on stage. He said, if in the South Pacific this happens, I know that in five days' time, this type of wave is going to happen, and that's why I'm packing my bags tomorrow. He's based in Portugal, and I'm flying to mm -hmm. whatever is North Shore, Oahu, to be there at this time of the day. And he knows that. He knows what kind of indicators he has to look for. You know, the people who look out of the window and say, there's the big wave, then it's too late knowing it mm -hmm. in time to be there on your board in the place when the wave comes. And that's the trick. And as a startup CEO, you should be able to say, look, we're not waiting for the wave, but we are waiting for, you know, a downpour mm -hmm. in Northern Ireland because then we know in the Britannia it's going to be great in two days' time. And that's what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And I think 
the right investor is going to be like, tell me more about that. How come? What probability? And you say, look, it can always still happen that. That's what you're looking for as well. And yeah. along the lines, it's about being honest as well and saying, look, based on our current data, we can assume that. Not saying I know that because like at the end of the day, predictions are always a certain a certain uncertainty factor involved to get the sentence out. And again, it's about building trust. And if you say, look, it's 80% chance of that, but it could be that we're going to sit on our surfboards and nothing happens, but that's part of the game. You know, but if you say, I know, yeah, then be bloody sure you really do yeah. know. Um, then I have to deliver, of course. Yes, yes. But you know, that's the thing I, I find so intriguing is what what is your daily KPI you look for? Because you know you're going to be looking for the big wave. What is it? And mm -hmm. think about it, you know? Yeah. So in this case, it's also about, you know, really having done your homework in terms of market research, looking for the, the weak signals, perhaps, yeah. you know, yes. knowing where things are headed. That is exactly. extremely valuable. Absolutely. Exactly. And I mean, as a CEO or a C-level person, I mean, you are, at the end of the day, you are, like on an expedition, right? You're, you're thinking this way is the North Pole. You don't know it, but you assume it's that way. And you no one's ever been there and you have a very rough map. And, you know, you might discover that there's an ice field or something is melted. Well, you're not looking for the one who goes like, whatever happens, we're heading north. And then you drown because there's water. But you're looking for people that go like, okay, uh, we built our hypothesis based on the data we have. We've just figured out the whatever's melted. Now we'll need to have plan B. But we thought about what we're going to do before if it melts. Therefore, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, that's that's something I find I find quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are the, the visionary CEOs yeah. and the visionary entrepreneurs. I mean, I think that I think you, the earlier you are in your product, the more visionary you need to be. But you also need to be yeah. absolute focused on execution execution as well. But sure, I mean. I mean, how should I say, if you're, if you're really in, a, in an absolute, you know, new approach, yes, you have to. And yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to backtrack, you know, to backpedal to our, 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 our core topic, if you're a super visionary, but you cannot make people believe in what you do, then you're going nowhere. And sure, if you say, look, I want to open a new, I don't know what it is, a new barber shop, just for the fun of it, you can say, look, there's... In Vienna, there are 35 barbers, and in this region, within 600 meters, there's no barber, but we can say there's so many people, and we can say blah, blah, blah. So there's data you can rely on and say mm -hmm. that's why we're mm -hmm. going to go there. Okay, you don't need to be that visionary. Still, you need to have a lot of uh, 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 endurance as a founder, and you need to be brave, and it's just as hard as a startup. But as someone who's doing a startup, you have no data you can rely on. Like You have no others where you can lean on. You have no reliable source so you need to make tell others and say i believe this market is going to happen mm -hmm. and if you have a young team you can say and i know my team is going to deliver even though we haven't at this point in time and no there is no demand for the product yet but we are sure that demand is going to happen because blah 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 has happened um, and that's something you need to make other people believe and they go like why do you think that and you say mm -hmm. because blah 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 and the easier con you can convey this, the more likely it is that people are going to believe in it. And if you just think of the great expeditions, be it Shackleton and be it going to the moon, people don't believe in that initially. And you have to be prepared. The crazier the idea is, the more people are going to challenge you. But the more you're persuasive, 
the better and at the end of the day it's not facts it's not it's not numbers it's not statistics but it's the stories people believe and the stories are the ones people yeah. memorize and the stories are the ones that create the emotions and you can put a lot of data into stories but at the end of the day a story has a beginning a middle piece and an end piece and you need to package what you believe in in a way that ideally the other person can also tell the story because it's you go like hey i just heard this 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 person she was like super inspiring but i don't know what she said because it was so hard to I, stuff whereas if you have this one person who goes on stage and really makes makes it persuasive and gives you something to take home so to speak and says and if you want to make sure that you know the name of the next song the next time you sit in a bar you know what you need you need shazam boom and then you go like okay i understood the next time i'm sitting in a bar and i hear a song that's what i need that's the story and that's also the hook you can put into people's heads so the the hook the scenario mm -hmm. give people that they think about you for the next time they go into it and the thing is when you build this your pitch deck think about let's call it the user journey to speak in a tech language the user journey the person mm -hmm. is going through when they listen to your story you tell what that i mean is what a the emotions you create when people start listening to you and you go like, no, 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 my people don't have emotions. No, no, every one of us is emotional. And then we respond, first response is emotional and then comes the rational response on top. Right. Think of your user journey, so to speak, and think what emotions you're triggering. And just to put a hook in, in your head that you're listening, I want that the next time you go into a supermarket, first of, I'd like you to give, that you have a quick beat. I'll ask you, Maxime, as well. What's the first mm -hmm. thing before you answer, like give the audience a three second beat that they can think about the answer. What's the first thing you see when you walk into a supermarket? What type of product is it? One, two, three, let's see. I walk into my supermarket, it's usually bread, it's pastries. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. In most cases, it's actually something else. It's usually fruit um, and vegetables. It's, it's the angle of the door in my case. Okay, got it. So <laughs> in, 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 in nearly all supermarkets, except yours, it's uh, fruit and vegetables. And then come mm -hmm. the pastries. Why is that the case? Yeah. Because the supermarket wants to greet you with colorful things, a great smell, a great environment you walk into. So they know when you walk in there, you want this colorful thing. The door opens, you go bing and go, smells great. That's not coincidence. They know this is what they want to greet you with. And then you... The next thing is, as you just said, it's pastries and it smells great as well. And it's oh, and then kind of, kind of comes all the boring daily, daily stuff. And then when you're when you're walking towards the cash register, what's what's one of the last products they're selling? It's, it's all of the good stuff. Yeah. Yes. The sugary goods. Yes, exactly. Anything that's, that you would buy on impulse. <laughs> exactly. And usually that's where you'll also be queuing probably and standing for a second until you and you look at it and go like, exactly. Mm. And the worst part is if you have kids, when you're right at the cash counter, then you have like the small <laughs> stuff right at their eye level. And what I'm trying to say mm -hmm. is when you go through a supermarket, just look for the triggers. Whoever builds supermarkets, they know what kind of emotions they're creating in your head, what kind of responses. And the next time you walk into a supermarket and you see fruits, think about how do you welcome your audience when you start your pitch? What is it you want them to think, to hear, to do when you start off? And the thing is, if you start with, you know, like stuff to clean toilets, you probably go like, yeah, that's not where it's exciting, you know, but it's, 
what's your fruit? What's your what's your passion? What's the nice smell you have? Um, create a user journey of emotions. And think about the emotions of, of the audience, whether it's investors or, or jury members that That's you're pitching to. I think these are actually amazing thoughts to, to wrap up with because uh, we're out of time, unfortunately. I would love to continue Let me know when uh, I'm this in. conversation. <laughs> There's a dog episode coming. I will not promise it, but yeah. I'm in. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> no, Daniel, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure and super interesting to talk to you about pitching, storytelling, uh, the user journey and the emotions and dogs, obviously. Dogs are great. Thanks, Daniel. So are owls. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe to The Art of Making on the podcast platform of your choice. We're also more than happy to hear from you. So reach out through the EIT Manufacturing website that is eitmanufacturing.eu, or find us on the usual social media channels. Take care and talk soon.